live. And the reading today is from 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for that, the gracious gifts he has given you, now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But you bow in prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to pause our busy week and worship you, the creator of our hearts. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be in this room with us, with each one of us, exactly where we are. Meet us in the midst of our grief, our joy, our confusion, our pain, our excitement. The scripture today reminds me that you were never done with us. You equip us to build each other up every day. You give us exactly what we need to love others. We have purpose. May this passage and this sermon help those of us who may be striving for things apart from you to surrender the chase. You are the giver of all that we need. You are faithful. May this scripture also help those of us who are feeling a lack of motivation. May this truth remind us that we have glorious work to do. We have purpose. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that is given to us through your Son, our Lord. May we keep our eyes on Jesus this holiday season. Please be with Ryan and his precious family in the midst of this change. We're so grateful for their service. Amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. One of the things I love about this passage that uh, is one of these early readings in the season of Advent from Corinthians is just the emphasis on the anticipation of and the desire for and this sense that we cannot have life that we were created for without Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus Christ or Christ eight times in these first nine verses in 1 Corinthians. Paul, if he, if he doesn't want us, you know, if there's something he does not want us to miss, that's what it is, the centrality of Jesus in our life of faith and belonging and growing in the Lord. So I uh, wanted to kind of, a little bit different in the sermon today, uh, be a little bit more of a, of a Bible study. We're going to look at two passages today. Uh, normally we just kind of focus on one in the sermon. Today we're going to start in the New Testament. We're going to go back to the Isaiah reading. And so if you're a person that likes to follow along, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 in your, in your New Testament, and then Isaiah 64 uh, there in your Old Testament. Uh, I, I love the way that Paul begins his letter uh, of greeting here, and he makes a big fuss about it and really puts his emphasis on that the common thing that we have and the reason that he's so grateful for the church in Corinth and the reason that we, as we celebrate in gratitude, uh, we're grateful for one another, particularly in our gathering as the body of Christ as a church, is 
the centrality of the grace of God, particularly in Jesus Christ. So Paul says this, all, all is grace. Everything that you have is grace, and therefore I'm thankful for the grace that you've received because it's making you a different community. It's making you a different witness because of the witness of Jesus and the grace of God. You are being transformed into the image of God. I thought of the great John Wesley, or excuse me, Charles Wesley line uh, in the hymn, And Can It Be? He has this line in the middle that says, Tis mercy all, immense and free. It all is mercy. Grace of God is immense, it is vast, and it is free. And that's the emphasis here at the beginning of this letter. That in every way you have been enriched in Jesus, in all speech, and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Jesus has been strengthened among you so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the waiting that really makes this such a great Advent passage. It's the, it's the admission that we are in a season of waiting. We're in a time of waiting. We're in between the, the coming of Jesus as he was born as a, a baby uh, and, and then the coming that we anticipate when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And so Paul says, as you wait for that day, and that should be a governing day, that's the day of all days. That's the day that you never take off your calendar. That's the ultimate day for all of our lives. That's when everything is made right and sorted out and the good king returns and we look for that day. And there's also something about that day that changes how we see today and tomorrow and how we perceive even our yesterday. And so we have this great reminder, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus, uh, that's really what Advent is all about. The word Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, and it just means arrival uh, or appearance. And so we're, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. We're getting ready for that birth in a way. Uh, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming today in this moment, that while we speak and worship together, that Jesus is present with us. And then we're looking for the arrival of Jesus at the end of all things, right? That Jesus will return. And so Paul says, you're not at a loss here. You have everything you need while you wait. I know waiting is hard. I know waiting can get difficult. And at times it can just seem like there's no end in sight. But you have everything you need to be a spiritual people. There's no tricks. There's no extra formulas. There's no, there's no code to the test that you're missing. You have everything you need has been revealed in Jesus. And Paul says, you know, in our early understanding of the gospel, you've got everything you need. You don't have to make it complicated. You have everything you need to live a spiritual life. And, and Jesus, by the way, he says, will strengthen you until the end. He's not going to let go of you in your struggles. He's not going to let go of you when the road gets hard. Uh, but he's there with you until the end so that when that day finally does come, you will be blameless. You will be guiltless uh, on the day of his appearance. And that is because of his grace and because you will be holding fast along the way. This was not a people that was already had it all figured out. They were already all living for the Lord. They were stumbling around in the dark a lot of the time. And Paul's saying, though, Jesus is not going to let you go. We're going to get this ship righted and we're going to move forward together. And one day we'll all stand together and we will be blameless together. We'll be guiltless together because of the grace of God and the steadfastness of the presence of Jesus that is carrying you at this time. I love the way that Paul says you've been enriched in Jesus in uh, all speech and all knowledge. And as I thought about this passage this week, I just thought of conversation, the word conversation or communication. 
uh, the way that uh, we converse together. Sometimes we talk about the sermon being a conversation because it's really, it's not just one person talking. A good sermon should always be a conversation. It represents what conversations are happening in the midst of a community, in the midst of a congregation, in the midst of our families. And this should be an ongoing conversation between the scriptures, the word of God, and the conversations that we're having. So this is my eighth advent to begin with all of you. And I hope uh, that, that our conversations have been this kind of conversation. I hope the conversations have been uh, enriching for all of us as we are growing in Christ and realizing, okay, this is our common calling together. And this conversation was going on in this congregation long before I ever arrived. And that conversation will continue long after I'm gone. And we're always, we get to be a part of it for the time that we're here. And so we're sharing in this conversation together. We must converse with God and we must converse with one another. And this is the enriching of the spiritual life, I think, that Paul is talking about here. Um, I got a call uh, this week from, uh, well, it was really from my brother, but it was for, on behalf of my nephew, uh, who didn't want to call me himself, and he said, hey, um, my 18-year-old nephew wants to know if he can borrow your horse, Bruce, Ryan, because obviously you're not using him. Uh, he's just out there getting fat. You know, can, can Avery borrow uh, Bruce uh, to go ride through his wheat pasture cattle this, this winter? And, uh, and I thought about it, and I was thinking, absolutely, that's fine. I'd love for him to borrow uh, old fat Bruce. Um, but but I, I, just, I found myself wanting to say something, and this is how I said it, probably not perfectly. I just said, listen, just make sure, in my, in my horse terminology, I said, make sure he carries on the conversation that I started with Bruce. All right? I didn't say it quite that way. But I'm like, I had a lot of conversations with Bruce. I was gentle with the turkey, you know, and we, we worked out a lot of things together in our years together. Now, don't get on him and try to be Mr. Yeehaw, Cowboy, and Spur, and Whip, and do all that stuff. Please, that interrupts our conversation. That changes the conversation. I was like, just keep the conversation. Be gentle with him. Take care of him, and he will take care of you. Uh, didn't go to all that trouble, but I was basically saying, don't whip on him. Don't spur on him. Just ride him. You know, just, he knows what to do. Just let him go. And, uh, and I think that's a little bit what Paul's saying is, look, this conversation has been going on. You just got to kind of keep it going. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We've been in this conversation together, and here we go. We are an Advent people. We are stuck in a moment, as you two said, you know, that, that we can't get out of uh, until the return of Jesus. And so our redemption has begun, but it is not yet complete. One day it will be, but for now we are an in-process people. We are an on-the-way people. So it begs the question, well, if we're waiting and we're on the way, well, what do we do in the meantime? I mean, do we just twiddle our thumbs? We sit around like, how do we, how do we manage this together? How do we operate when we know we're in the middle and we're stuck in a moment? I think the big answer for me this year, as I look at Advent and an area that I need to grow in my life, is uh, prayer. It's a real basic answer, prayer. Uh, this is what we do while we wait. We are a people of prayer. To be an Advent people is to be a people of prayer. And as we look at Isaiah 64, I think what we find is we find a template for prayer. We find a, a template for Advent prayer specifically. Uh, it's almost like a psalm in the way that is presented to us in the scriptures. And so I just want to go through a little bit of it and kind of look at the the, the meat of the psalm, I just commend this to you as a great Advent prayer this year, Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. It's one that I'm going to kind of fold up and put in my shirt pocket and just carry with me because of what it's inviting us to do. It's, it's brutally honest. 
And these are the moments uh, that we are honest about the distance that we feel from God. You know, it's like the prayer Isaiah saying, you, O God, are in your heavens. And we, O God, are not. We, are, we feel here, we feel, we feel a trillion miles away. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, here you are. In this moment. And here you will be at the end of all things. So Isaiah begins with this great cry. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens. That you would just tear the heavens open and come down. That you would come down here and, and fix everything. That you would just come here and make it all right. We are living in a mess, Lord. We've got stuff around us. We're a people in exile. We can't even depend on the things that we've always been able to count on. And we're just getting our lunch eaten internally. And our enemies are many. And our adversaries are all over the place. And we don't know what we're going to do. Would you just tear open the heavens and come down and make it all right? It's a great way to start any prayer. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what we're saying. God, tear open the heavens and come down. Make it right. Isaiah is saying, and God's people are screaming, and we are echoing now, you are great and powerful God. Uh, come and just wipe out our adversaries, you know. Get the attention of all the non-God-fearing people out there that are making life hard on everybody. Get their attention by how good you are to us. Come and be good to us. And just make it obvious to the rest of the world how good you've been to us. Fix our circumstances, you know. Make our, make our lives a little, a little easier. Uh, sort all this out for us. It just celebrates the power of God. And that God is, in fact, a God who may yet be able to get us out of this mess. And in the middle of the prayer, though, is just a full-throated confession. It's a lament. It, it just gets honest. Because, you know, when we, when we start griping and yelling in prayer about all the things that are wrong with the world, one of the things that happen in prayer is we soon find ourselves working our way back closer to the center of the things that we do have control over, the, the, the most central of which, of course, is our own self, our own heart. And then we begin to see, oh, man, my own heart is a mess, you know, and I have some things I need to confess. And I live among a people. Remember how Isaiah started, you know, his ministry started, and he realized that the vision of God in the, in the temple, he's going, I am a, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And, uh, and I've got to say that up front. I've got to get that out. It's a lament. It's saying this is how it is for the people of God right now. We've become unclean. We're just, we're just a mess. Part of the reason, Lord, that we are experiencing this is that we have sinned and we really made a mess of things. So we're confessing that up front. I sometimes hear these passages, these scriptures read in Isaiah to sort of give this definitive theological claim that we're all just hopeless sinners all the time. You know, we're just, nobody does righteous. Nobody ever does right. We're all just a mess. No human being ever does good. And there are times maybe we need to hear that and affirm that. But Isaiah is not saying this is how we are all the time. He's saying we're a mess right now. You know, we haven't always been this way and we don't intend to stay this way. But right now we are just, we're not making this any easier. I mean, we're tearing ourselves apart here. And, uh, he just says, this is how bad it's gotten. Nobody calls on your name. I mean, nobody's, nobody's crying out for you, God, anymore. And, 
And so it just ends on this real bleak note, this part of the lament. And I think lament and confession have to be Advent staples. To really pray, really enter the season of Advent, you have to cry. You have to lament. You have to appeal on this level and confess. And, and then when we do that, it really gets us ready for this last part. And this is the big flourish. In the Hebrew grammar, it's really, really, really sharp. It's like you're reading along, and then there's just this huge explosion of... It's like some, when somebody sends you a text and they say congratulations about something and all the balloons pop up on your, on your screen. It's just like a big interruption from what you're reading. And Isaiah says it's gotten really bad. And this word is yet. Yet. Or but. But yet, O oh Lord. Uh, and it just gives you that kind of lingering hope that as bad as it's gotten and as mess, big a mess as we've made, yet there still might be hope there still might be a chance that this is going somewhere. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father, and we are your children. We are the work of your hands. We are, in fact, like clay, and you are the great potter. And we just wonder if maybe you can still make something out of the mess that we've made. We wonder if you could take us again and put us on the potter's wheel. And if you could form and shape us into something that you have desired for us to be, that the world would know, in fact, that there's a good God who loves us. We are your children and we are in your hands. Mold us and shape us according to your image. Because, of course, the best news of all is that the people of God 2,500 years ago, when they cried out, Lord, would you tear open the heavens and come down? About 500 years later, that prayer was answered in the most ultimate and precise way that it ever could be answered. And that was when Jesus was born and was nurtured in the womb of Mary. And God answered this prayer in a perfect way. God did, in fact, tear open the heavens and from the womb of Mary was born the most precise and perfect answer to all of our prayers. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, as Paul reminds us. God continues to tear open the heavens today as we wait for the day, that day, together, when Jesus will appear and will tear open the heavens once and for all. One day. And so until that day, we wait. We wait with lament, with confession, and with the great hope of yet. Yet. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.